so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Father, we thank you again for the love of God. We thank you today for the opportunity to live out that kind of life amongst our brothers and sisters and our lost and dying world. Teach us to love, help us to love, and help us to always look to you as the source of that love and the example that you gave through your son. In his name we pray, Lord. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I want you to think about this idea of love because it, unfortunately, in our world today, has taken on many wrong ideas, and I think in a way it's become watered down, it's become distorted, uh, it's become misused and misinterpreted, and so as believers, I think it's very important for us to understand what true love is and what true love is not. And so I want you to think about this question to just kind of start things off. When was the first time in your life now we're going to talk about experience, which I don't always like to use as an example, but in this, in this instance we will. In your experience, what would you say was the first time that you really knew what love was? Maybe that was a loving family, your parents. Not everyone has had that experience, but for some, true love was portrayed by family members. I know Pastor Michael will share his testimony in the foster family that really poured into him and showed love to him. For some of us, it may have been when we met our spouse and we fell in love with that person and we made a covenant with before God that we would become one flesh and spend our lives with that one person, dedicating ourselves to each other so that we could carry out that love, that sacrificial love every day. Maybe it was the birth of a child and in that delivery room, when you see life conceived, there's no feeling like that to hold a child or a grandchild and to look into the eyes of a newborn baby. The love, unless you've experienced that, is indescribable. So I think there are many ways, practically in life, that to some degree we have had an experience with what true love, at least maybe emotionally speaking, looks like. I was watching a speech this week. I don't really remember who the guy was, but I was watching a speech. And he said something, and it, it just felt like it really tied in with the message. The, the sermon or the speech was not uh, a religious speech. It was, it was more of a uh, secular speech, a commemoration speech was at a university. But he said this. He said, love is just a word until someone comes along and gives it meaning. And I thought about that. I thought about what it meant when I first understood the weight of my sin and the guilt that that carried. And in the same moment that I felt the weight of that sin, I saw the love of God in Christ that was willing to take that sin upon himself. And in that moment, I experienced love in a way that no earthly type of love could ever I experienced a love that transcends the temporary and that would lay down someone who would lay down his life for 
folks, someone like me, that have rebelled, that have strayed, that have sinned, continually rejected that offer of Christ many times before. And that experience was one that I've never forgotten. And one I hope today that you can say that if you've experienced in your life, if you haven't, I pray that today might be that day. Again, so I want us to look at our text today. This section of Scripture, John 13 through 17, is the largest collection uh, in one place of Jesus teaching in all of Scripture. He, he starts in the upper room with him in Washington, D.C., and he goes on to talk about many different things with them. He talks about sending the comforter. He's talking about bearing fruit. He is the vine, and they are the branches. And John 17, he prays the high priestly prayer uh, shortly before his betrayal. And so we see a lot of teaching compacted into these two chapters. But I believe that some of the teaching in John 15 is, is the greatest teaching that we have uh, from Christ. And I want us to think about, really think about what he's saying. Because I, I believe that in this chapter, in any portion of scripture, are so uh, deep of lessons that we could never, we could spend a lifetime trying to grasp this, this chapter and really practically live it out in our lives. But I look at the chapter as a whole, and we'll get into our verses specifically, but I believe that when we look at verses 4 and 5, we really see some, some key verses there that unpack the chapter uh, for us and what Jesus is really trying to say to us. And I want us to look at verses 4 and 5. Let's say this. He says, Abide, dwell, rest in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot cannot do what? Bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him. He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do when we are saved, where was that? When we are justified, we are in Christ positionally, and He is in us. Romans six talks about positionally being in Christ. We are as saved as we will ever be. We are as loved and forgiven as we will ever be. But practically speaking, in our day to day lives, this side of glory. There is a constant struggle to walk in the Spirit, to be obedient to the commands of Scripture, and to dwell and abide in Christ. We're not speaking about our position of salvation. We're speaking about the fact that we have to make an intentional effort to be obedient and walk according to the commands and by and through the Spirit of God in us. And if we're honest, we're not always abiding with Christ in a practical sense that plays out in our lives. Or we might say, as we are being sanctified, we are not always walking in the Spirit, but at times are pulled into the flesh. And Jesus is saying, when you abide with me, the result will be fruit produced. If you fail to abide in me, you will not be able to produce anything worthwhile. Eternal that will abide, that will last. Just quote like four scriptures. 
Now, I want us to hold our spot. You don't have to turn around thinking about it on the screen. But in the book of Galatians, it describes a contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Let's look at that contrast. Galatians 5, first verses 19 through 21. He says there now the works or the deeds of what? <coughs> flesh are evident. He lists quite a few sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, enviness, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, who practice such things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he says that the flesh is going to manifest itself in various sinful ways. All right? Now look at verses 22 and 23 of Galatians 5. But the fruit of who? The Spirit. We just looked at the works, the deeds of the flesh. Now we're going to see something that is produced by the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, why did I bring those portions of Scripture up? I want us to go back to our text now, and hopefully this will make more sense. Look at John 15, verse 12. What does Jesus say right off the bat? This is my suggestion. This is my opinion. This is what I hope you will do. I, I, my translation doesn't say any of that. I don't know any translation. He says, this my amen. Amen. Now we amen that as we should, but let's think about it again practically in our lives and how we view. Because I think we have allowed the world in a way to shape our view of love, to define it for us, and so we might say something like, "How can Jesus command love?" Because love is a feeling. Love is an emotion. Love has limits. You say, oh no, no it doesn't. You really live like love doesn't have limits? I would say that you most certainly and I most certainly live with a love that has limits for certain people, for certain ideologies, Towards certain things. We limit the way that we love. Or just thousands of times in my life already. I can like them, but I don't have to love them. Is that what Jesus said? No, it's not. In a human speaking way, humanly speaking, I understand why we would say those things. But again, look at John or, yeah, John 15, what we read in verses 4 and 5. Yeah, How can we ever live out a command like that? By abiding in Christ. 
By abiding in Christ, it is possible to love like Jesus. Apart from him, we can't do that. Matter of fact, what did he say we can't do? Anything. Right? Because when we looked at Galatians and we saw the first portion of things, he said these are the deeds of the... But to produce fruit, it requires... The spirit and the first of those fruits was we have seen in the last I don't know I think it's about a year isn't it pretty close since the shutdown of the COVID about a year this I think was right around this time a year ago and through that season of stress and uncertainty and all the other things that went on in the world, people have been on edge and concerned. And I mean, there's so many words that you could use to describe the, the state of the world, I guess, or at least the state of America in the last year. But I think that when we look at the fruit of the Spirit, it's rare to see a lot of these things like that. Do you agree? And I, of course, the world is not going to Lost people are not going to produce the fruit of the Spirit when they don't have the Spirit. I'm talking about even in lives of believers, though. Love, joy, peace. Just be honest, you don't have to answer it out loud, but in the last year, have you had a lot of joy? When you have your eyes been all over the world and all the things, the, the political fiascos that we went through, the corona. All the other things, the economy, you, you name it, people getting laid off. How's your joy been? Have you allowed all that stuff to get you in the flesh and forget who you are in Christ? Forget the promises that he's given you. The sure foundation that we sung about that cannot be shaken. We've forgotten those things and as a result lost our joy. What about our peace? Are we wringing our hands all the time? Worried about what's next and what's going to happen? God doing that? He up there wringing his hands, worried and concerned. Pastor Michael's done a fantastic job talking about the sovereignty of God. Do we really believe that, though? Or is he just standing up here saying a few things and we amen and we walk out of here and we don't really live like God is in control? And where is our peace? If we believe that God is in control, don't we have peace? The pastor's all understanding. But when we get our eyes off of him, Abide with him, we don't live in his word and walk in faith by the Spirit. All of those fruits are non existent in our lives, practically speaking. We don't see them, we don't live them out. So, when we talk about this love, this agape love from God, it doesn't have limits, it doesn't have borders, it doesn't have contingencies. It's a limitless love. A sacrificial love, a love that we don't deserve, and yet he lavishes it on us. And just like we sung in these songs and we've already talked about, this kind of love is not just sentimentality. It's not just something that Jesus talked about. It's not just something that he spoke eloquently about. Jesus lived the life out before us. He was obedient unto death, even the death on a cross. He glorified the Father 
and he made a way for sinners to be redeemed. He laid down his life for his sheep. So we can quench the Spirit, we can grieve the Spirit, or we can walk in the Spirit. And which one of those we choose will largely determine what type of way that we live our lives each and every day. In verse 15 of John 14, Jesus says there, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The greatest of those commandments is to love the Lord thy God. All our minds full of strength, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. But how do we do that? Jesus commands it. We understand that it's something that has to be produced outside of ourselves. We can't do it in the flesh. It has to be done by abiding in Christ and allowing the Spirit to produce that practically in our life every day. But don't miss this in verse 12. He's commanding it. But look what he says next. And this is astounding. This is astounding. I don't care how great of a theologian you are, and there's been many wonderful theologians throughout the century. But this is beyond the breadth of any human being. This is my commandment, that you love one another how? What's it say? You love one another as I have loved you. Wow. Don't miss that. How are we supposed to love one another? The way that Jesus loved us. Now let me ask you a question. Jesus did life with the disciples for three and a half years. He walked with them, he taught them, he ate with them, he ministered to them. Do you think that the disciples were always loving us? Did Jesus sometimes have to rebuke them? And did he sometimes have to withdraw and go pray? And did he sometimes say things like, how long will I have to put up with this generation, so to speak? Right? It wasn't as though he picked out 12 perfect people that were just right on the money all the time and that, that he could get along with and that there wouldn't be any kind of disagreements, and he said, these are the guys that are going to make this ministry life easy. He didn't do that. The disciples were not always easy to love. Here's the next question. How about you and me? Are we always easy to love? Am I always easy to love? <laughs> Put myself on the spot. You're not either. <laughs> He's in a doghouse And we cannot produce that type of love and our own strength. We can't. But Jesus gives us command and he elevates it to a plane. And we lower the bar all the time. This is my command. This is what it is. That you love one another as I have loved you. Period. Period. 
period. We start the negotiation process. Don't we? Well, he didn't really mean that person. He didn't really mean in that situation. Because we're looking at it in our strength, which again is impossible. But think about this. Look at verse 9 of John 15. So we just read the second half of verse 12. Now look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Now let's put those together for a minute and think about this type of love, this way that Jesus says we are to love one another through the Spirit and power. Verse 9 and verse 12 together. As the Father has loved me, how much did the Father love the Son? The Godhead, the triune God. We call this the aseity of God. Did God need us? Was, was his love incomplete? He said, you know what? I need to create some creatures that eventually will rebel and, and cause the whole world to spin into a sinful downward spiral. That's what I really need to complete myself. Did he need to do that? No. The aseity of God says that he is completely self-sufficient. He needs nothing. He is content within the Godhead. He didn't need us. He created for his glory, people who he knew would rebel against him. Yet he says, as the Father has loved me, love indescribable, perfect in every way, with no beginning and no end, that's the way that the Father loves the Son. So have I loved you. Think about that. Don't just brush over that. As the Father has loved me, I love you. That's amazing. I can't wrap my head around it. I cannot understand how God, how much God loves the Son. And that's the same kind of love He shows me. I can't love one another as I have loved you. How much does Jesus love us? Father has loved him. You see the commandment that he's giving? Do you see the impossibility of us doing that without him? But that doesn't give us the right to lower the bar because we're not to walk in the flesh. We're not to do it in our strength. We have to rely on him for that and everything else. He is our portion in our strength, church. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And so, when we think about loving one another, it can't just be that we grit our teeth and get through it and bear it and pretend. But we live that way so often. We do that so often. But if we would just rely on the Spirit and take the words of Christ seriously, I believe that Churches throughout the land would experience a closeness and a fellowship like they've never known. We love to talk about the security of the believer in Christ and a love, as Paul says in Romans 8, that he's persuaded that because of that love of God in Christ that nothing can separate us. 
we hold tightly to that love of God to us, but we take very lightly the command to love people around us in the same way. We don't hold on to people really tight. A lot of people we would better let go and push away. That's not the way that he calls us to live. Look at what it says in Romans 5 5. He says, Their hope does not put us to shame because whose love? God's love. God's love has been what? Poured into who? Our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured into our hearts. Whose hearts? Believers? Yes. We just talked about Romans 5.1 that we have peace with God because of the justification that we received by faith. God's love has been poured into our hearts. Perfect tense. One time action never to be repeated. When we became believers, God poured His love into us completely. We are as loved as we will ever be. You don't have to strive to earn more of God's love. You don't have to worry that when you sin that God loves you less. Matter of fact, while we were yet sinners, the Bible says Christ died for us. His love did not increase when we became a believer. His love is constant. Because God is love. But before Christ, we were under his wrath. We deserve condemnation. Our sins and our iniquities have separated us from him. So that he must, in his justice, rightly judge and condemn those that are outside of Christ. And that is why even in his condemnation, we see his love. Because he is just in doing so. But he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. My friend, this morning, without Christ, you stand condemned. You stand condemned because of your own unbelief. If you would turn in faith and believe, repent of your sins and trust Him, you too can be saved. That is the reality of this love. He's poured it into our hearts and through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Every true believer is well and sealed with the Holy Spirit. And again, He must do that for us or else we could never live the life that He calls us to live. If the Spirit of God did not dwell within believers, we would be more of a mess than we are. And we're still pretty messed up, even with the Spirit, because we don't listen to it. We don't obey it. We don't follow Him. We don't trust Him. We don't rely on Him. We're prone to wander, as the old hymn said. Prone to wander all the time. We talk about being described as sheep. It's not blameless, but we are certainly like sheep. Except that we wander and we stray and we don't know what's up or down sometimes. We need to rely on the Spirit of God all the time. All the time. And so we think about, again, back in Galatians, where we looked a few minutes ago, the fruit of the Spirit versus the deeds of the flesh. When we think about the deeds of the flesh, they're usually reactionary. Deeds of the flesh are often reactionary. They, they exhibit themselves maybe in an emotional outburst, they may come across as an external reaction. Look at look at those things. We won't go back and read the list again, but you can see how those things maybe start in the heart, but ultimately play out 
externally from us. But the fruit of the Spirit, think about fruit. You know, we're going to be planting gardens. Some of you will be planting gardens here soon. Right? Got a lot of work? Or you just dig a hole through the seed and come out in the morning and there's your there's plant plant. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's cultivated, it's watered, it's nourished, it's weeded, and wait. Right? The fruit of the Spirit is a progressive thing that we look for and strive for continually in our lives. And so when we think about the fruit of the Spirit, Yes, when we're saved, there are instant changes that take place in our lives. But these are ongoing changes as we mature in the of Christ. That's why we need to show grace to people, because not everybody grows at the same rate. Especially for a new believer. We can't expect a brand new Christian to act like somebody that's been in the Word and walking with the Lord for 50 years. Hopefully there is a maturity that has taken place in the life of the believer, and we don't always see that in a brand new and unfortunately, we don't always see that in Christians that have been doing this for a long time. Perhaps because they haven't been discipled properly. Perhaps because they haven't themselves spent personal time to grow in the Word as they ought. But regardless, the fruit of the Spirit is something that is produced progressively. And so when we think about what that looks like, it's got to be more than your words. It's got to be exhibited in the way that we live. Let me give you a couple of verses. 1 John 3.18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Our doctrines ought to shape the way that we live. We don't just grow theologically so that we know a lot of facts. We grow theologically so that it can transform our relationship deeper with Christ so that we can live that out practically. The way that we live. Indeed in truth. John 15, 13, he said there in our text, greater love has no one than this, than, he, than that he lay down his life for his friends. Again, Jesus was about to lay down his life. Literally. He was going to give his life as the sin sacrifice that the world needed. But I think sometimes we look at that verse and we just simply think physical death. And while that may have a large part in what is being said in context, can you lay down your life in other ways without literally being killed? Of course you can. There are many sacrificial ways that you can lay down your life for others. And I would argue that to truly love one another, we have got to be willing and humble enough to put others before ourselves. But it's hard to put others before yourself if you're the center of your universe. We've got to understand that we are called to something bigger than us. And we can't always make everything about us. We have got to understand that there are people in this church and people outside this church that desperately need to know and to see the love of God. And they will see it through us as we lay down our lives for one another. How can we lay down our lives to serve one another? By abiding in Christ. By modeling our lives after Him. You see,
said in the Gospel of Mark, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus modeled for his disciples, and he's left us an example, as do they, how we ought to love and live and walk in communion and fellowship with one another. Let's look at verse 16 of our text. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. For what reason? That you should go and bear fruit, and that that fruit that you bear should abide. So that, notice those two words, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. I would kind of paraphrase that verse up something like this. I chose and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, abiding fruit, which you will do by asking the Father in my name. Do you see what Jesus is saying in that verse to his disciples? He's saying to them that there still is required an abiding in me and a dependence on me to bear any fruit that will last. And if you want to see those things happen, you must abide, you must depend, and you must ask. You must look to the Father. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Prosperity gospel preachers have latched on to that verse and say, well, Michael, you need a new car out there. Just go home and pray, and God will put your car in your That's not what this verse at all is saying. That's not what the scripture is saying. It's showing us our dependence on the Father as the source of life, as the source of every spiritual blessing. Our dependence has got to be on him, church. It's got to be. It's got to be. We must rely on him. When we do it in our strength, we are trying to lift things out in the flesh. And we've already talked about what the flesh produces. It will not happen. And then, finally, he closes in much the same way that he opens. These things I suggest to you. Man, so that you will love one another. Real similar to what he said in the upper room in John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. All people will know that you're my disciples. How? I will say you have love one for another. That's how people are going to We often will have people give us reasons in life that we might say, well, I'm not going to love that person because of that. None of those are valid in the eyes of God. And how does God love us? What did the verse say earlier? God loves us as he loved the Son. Right? The Son loves us same way. Do we give God reasons not to love us? Come on, God. Work with me here. Do we give God reasons to not love us? Has He ever acted on any of those? No. He's failing all the time. Love, patience, long-suffering, continues as it has to do with us and our 
it's a big investment to love. Because when we open up our hearts to love, there's always a risk of being hurt. Right? And sometimes people say, you know what, I've been burned too many times, I've been hurt too many times, I'm going to put up walls and I'm not going to let anybody get close. When you love the way that the Father loves the Son, that we put up walls and are willing to do so. And so I close with this thought. We can have, and praise team, you can do a good job. We can have all the right programs and all the best teaching, a perfect organization. We can do it all externally good. But 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3 says, Paul says this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, all I am is a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If these guys come up here and sing, Chris is just pounding on that piece of plastic and making a bunch of noise. If you don't love the people that he ministers. If I stand up here and preach and back in this pulpit and I don't love you, I'm making noise. That's the truth. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith as to move mountains, but have not love. I'm nothing. I am nothing. What Paul says of himself. If I give everything away that I have and deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Do you see how important it must be for us to abide in Christ and to produce this kind of love towards one another? Before you think about doing anything else for the Lord, before you answer the call to preach, before you go on a mission trip, before you get up here and sing today, if you're not loving God and your neighbor, you can set your guitar down and go to the altar or go to that person and pray. That's the reality. And for all of us, if we are not loving people well, then we need to get that right before we attempt to do anything else for God. Anything else. I close with this verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ controls us. That word can be illustrated. It can be a, a, a naval term, if you will, of a ship passing through a narrow canal. It can also be used of cattle being herded through a narrow gate. So we might say that the love of Christ presses us. It squeezes us. It guides us directly in charge. That's how important it is to walk and live in love towards Christ. Oh my God. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this that one has died for all. See that? Who is the one? Who is the all? Us. One has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all that. Those who live, so not all will live, only those that by faith receive Christ. Those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sakes died and was raised. My friends, our lives are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, we are to glorify God. And the way that we glorify God is by keeping his commandments. Greatest of his commands is to love God and love the rest. 
take that more serious. Help me to stop making excuses of why I can't love that person. I shouldn't love that person. They don't deserve my love. Help us to remember that we are loved as the Father loves the Son. We are loved the same way. I hope our prayer collectively is God help us, help me to love more like that you give me love every day. And I sure love it. And I thank you for it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you again for today's message that challenged you so much this week. And I pray that it is ministered and spoken to those that have heard it today as well. Lord, I know that I have fallen short of the love that you have commanded me to walk in, and I pray forgiveness publicly. I ask you, Lord, to help me to love as you have loved me and to show that every day in my life, my family, my friends, my church, the community around me. Lord, help me to rely on you, to not depend on my strength, my energy, and my effort, but to know that to live this life, I must abide in you constantly. Lord, I pray that you will help me to do that, remind me how much you sacrificed and gave so that I might have a relationship with you. And I pray today for those watching that don't know you, that they would see the love that you have for them by laying down your life so that they might be saved. And the decisions would be made in this room and even online for you today. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. 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 As Pastor Michael to join me, and as we say, God has spoken to you. If you need to come to the altar, if you need to make a decision for Christ today,